0: Hey, Jeff here from LGBTQ&A. Today we've got a conversation with Jacob Tobiah, who you might remember from the podcast about a year and a half ago. We actually recorded this new conversation for a different project that we're working on. But Jacob's vulnerability and honesty, talking about forgetting what it feels like to be desired and being denied even the tiniest healthiest bit of sexual attention as a trans femme person it really just stuck with me so i asked if we could run it here jacob was cool with that i'm super grateful for that before we get to it though if you haven't subscribed and left a comment on itunes please do that it is one of the biggest ways you can help our show to continue to grow and then don't forget to check out our old home at Afterbest tv they are the number one place for all your after show discussions all right without further ado here's jacob I've been
1: thinking a lot about what it means to to feel desired or to feel wanted in the context of my gender. You know, like it's and it's interesting because, you know, I just wrote one hundred and sixty thousand words about my identity and I really don't talk about my sexuality or my intimacy or or like my experience as an erotic person other than in kind of like a jokey you know, like making jokes about how horny I was as a teenager kind of way. You know, like I glaze over it but it but it's not a dive, you know, like And that's intentional? Yeah. Well well yes and no, right? Like it's intentional because I'm not ready to talk about it publicly yet. But it's unintentional in that the reason I'm not ready to talk about it yet in a lot of cases is because is because I don't understand it fully. I feel like the great unfinished business of my gender exploration is trying to figure out what it means to be desired in my femme. Because, you know, it's not like we grow up in a world where people are taught to do
0: that. When was the last time that somebody made you feel sexy?
1: I think internally, I feel sexy all the time. Like, I look in the mirror and I'm always just like, damn, you know, like, especially, I remember one night I went to... I think it was point foundation honors at the Beverly Hilton. And I had this like floor length gown and my hair was all done by myself, but done. And like, you know, I was wearing, I wasn't wearing like some bright crazy lipstick. I was wearing like a subtle lip and like just enough eye makeup. And like, I mean, I just, I looked gorgeous. And I remember leaving that night so angry that like, I don't get any like real attention for that. I get lots of like, oh, you're fabulous. Like, oh, you look great. Or like, oh my God, I love what you're wearing. Or oh my gosh, can we take a picture? But I don't get like, I don't get like a, oh wow, how are you? Like, I don't get the, I don't get the, the like subtle indications that people are consuming my body sexually, not just aesthetically. You know, like everyone drinks up my aesthetic. People are so into that part. But that doesn't translate into sexual desire, it doesn't seem. Or if it translates into sexual desire, people aren't acknowledging it. And you know, it's, it's hard because the, the pro- thing is, it's like, you can be as empowered as you wanna be in your own head, you know? But like, romance and attraction are reciprocal enterprises. I mean, like, I'm great at fucking myself, sure. Like, you know, I've mastered that art by now. No amount of self-love
0: can make someone want me. Like, that's not how consent works you know? And in the conversation of consent, I think that oftentimes something that you point out is that being sexually objectified can feel really good. Yeah, no, like... When there's not a safety issue, it can feel so good. Yeah, like someone looking at you, if especially if you
1: don't experience it very often, someone looking at you and wanting to like taking your clothes off with their eyes is so, I mean, it's so hot and it also, it's real power. You know, sometimes I feel like the way that a lot of the way that a lot of cis women that I know relate to objectification is kind of like the way that a lot of successful actresses I know relate to work. They're like, Oh my God, I have to do this thing. Like, Oh, I booked this role and it's, I have to go to Cabo and film it, blah, blah, blah. You know, like, it's like this run of the mill thing that you do all the time that you get all the time. That's like kind of annoying, you know, because people are always trying to give you work and you're like always working and you're like, Oh my God, I'm always working and I'm exhausted. And this is not balanced." but for an actor who is starting out and doesn't have any work like one job is incredible it's about balance and and the fucked up part about about living in a world that creates double standards for fems is that it also creates dichotomies between like sexual haves and sexual have-nots and the people who are deemed you know like in the sort of madonna whore complex you either have too much sexual attention directed your way at all times, or you have like nothing directed your way. Yeah. You know, it feels like a lot of people are denied the ability to have just a healthy, happy amount of sexual attention in their lives.
0: And I think in, in relation to feminine people in culture can never do anything right. They talk too much about sex and they're too sexy. They don't talk enough about sex. They talk about politics and they, they should want to do their art. But if they don't mention their politics, then we're like, why are they not talking about the politics? And there's always a critique and you are critiqued that way.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I think that the, the thing that's hard, I have a lot of trouble communicating how I want to be desired. and And I have a lot of trouble talking about sexual neglect because we just don't have a simple equation or a simple digital rubric for doing it you know And and i feel like what always ends up happening is that when i talk about feeling sexually neglected and wanting more sexual attention if people don't like the way that i said it they don't attack my ideas they just attack my status as a feminine person if I don't frame at all of my sexual politic conversation properly, what's invalidated is not my intellect or what's, what's challenged is not my intellect or like my argument. What's challenged so often is just like, well, you're not supposed to be here anyway. I feel like trans femmes, especially trans femmes who don't claim the label of woman. Anytime we talk about attraction or sexuality or try and enter into conversations that impact feminine people. If we don't, if people don't like what we say, you know, it's like that moment in Mean Girls where it's like, she doesn't even go here, you know?
0: But about the world.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like, I... That's if really fucked I, up. If, Yeah. Like, I mean, it's interesting because when I published that piece for Playboy being like, I want to be objectified, which, you know, that wasn't me twisting my words. Like, I know I'm a really, I'm a very talented writer. Like, when I say I want to be objectified, I don't just mean I want to be sexually desired. I actually want access to the feeling of objectification On a consensual basis, which I believe is possible. Some people disagree on a definition and that's that's a different conversation. We can disagree on the definition of objectification. But the way that I identify objectification is like being reduced to a raw sexual self by someone else to someone else, someone else being able to look at you and not having to see your personhood all the time, your full personhood, but being able to see your to see, like, I think there is something that's, that can be incredibly powerful and hot and consensual about being seen as a sex object for like a minute, you know, for like an encounter, for a moment when you have the ability to opt out of being seen that way, if it doesn't feel good anymore. It is part of a kinky power play. And like, I'm into kinky power play. Some people, you know, think that like they want, they want me to own, they're like, no, but that's not, objectification can't be good. And I'm like, well... It can be like if you're kinky and into that, and it's like, but then why do I want it? Well, I know why I want it. That's true because I think like and and I know and I want it both on an intellectual level because I feel like I'm always so in control of my brain, and I love the idea of someone else like taking control.
0: Yes, I guess that's not why do I want it. It's like it can't be a bad thing because I do want it, and I'm okay with wanting it. Yeah. Yeah, and okay you are telling me it's it. bad. And like, I don't care. I don't think it is. All exactly. the time, all the time. And, I,
1: and that's like the thing is, it's the thing that has always been true in feminism. If you study feminist history is that people have never been able to agree on what good sex is and what bad sex is, on what good sexuality is and what bad sexuality is. There's never been agreement. There never will be agreement. The sex wars... You know, that like, quote unquote, started in the 70s, had been going on for all of human history and will continue to go on for all of human thought. We will never be able to agree 100% on what quote unquote good sex is or what quote unquote bad sex is because it's messy and because everyone has a different definition of pleasure. But I think the thing that's so interesting is that the moment I try and enter into a conversation about sexuality or any other trans femmes try and enter into a conversation about sexuality... What's attacked is not our viewpoint, but our status as participants in the conversation. I feel like the moment that I try and complicate a conversation or or the way that someone's characterizing their experience with sexuality, because it doesn't jive with how I experience my sexuality, they say, well, this is like a women-only conversation. You're not, you don't really get it. And in some ways, maybe that's true, but the converse is also true, which is that maybe you don't really get me. You know, but you're not asking to learn more about me. You're not asking to be in sisterhood with me in creating a world where I can be desired. And the irony is that standing together around all of this and standing in solidarity with trans femme people and helping trans femme people to get the sex that we deserve is actually helps everybody. Like everyone, I think that everyone benefits in a world in which trans feminine people are allowed access to to being eroticized and not just fetishized. Absolutely. So, what happened on that date that you went on in Los Angeles? Well, so you know, it was like a period of time when I was like, I'm going to try this dating thing again. You know, it was one of the first times I'd been on a date with someone who wasn't who wasn't terrified or immediately turned off by the idea of of my femme. and that part felt really good. You know, we didn't drive for like other lifestyle reasons how much we party and like all that kind of stuff that I was like, I don't actually want to pursue a relationship with this person, but it, you know, it felt, it felt good to be wanted again. And it was something that I, you know, I, I, I forgot what it felt like because it just, it's just so, you know, the thing is it's not impossible for me to have sex with people, but it's the odds in my lottery are a lot lower than many others. You know, like the effort that I have to put out there to find someone who is into me and will not have their desire compromised by the facts that I'm feminine. I mean, it's just so, it's such a big burden. In general, the intimacy or the sex that I maybe do find is often not worth the search. By the time I find someone who is into me, it wasn't worth the damage to get to that point, if that makes sense. You know, like in the aggregate, I still lose. It feels that way, at least if I had someone that if I found someone where we would end up being compatible, not just on a basic level of like, are you attracted to me, but actually on uh, on on the other levels that matter in terms of creating a relationship, then maybe it would the effort would feel worth it. But it's like I don't get to be picky about compatibility often.
0: And I feel like this is the moment in the conversation where this is a TV show where as a good friend, I turned to you and say like, no, Jacob, you're an amazing person. There's someone out there for you. It's okay. But I'm a rational person and I recognize that you are a niche product. You know? Yeah, like and right now. Yes, exactly. Right yeah. now in society. And um, I hate saying that, but like, it's true. And, and it's, I mean,
1: it's not so hard to imagine how this changes. I feel like an electric car five years ago, you know, like there was one person who was interested enough and willing to spend the money
0: to buy it. And when we saw them on the street, we would all stare and be like, wow, that's an electric car.
1: Whoa. And you'd look at the person driving it and you'd make assumptions about them, too. I think that how part of how it changes is by everyone saying, no, we need to invest some resources in marketing. You know, like we need a proactive campaign across media to allow Trans feminine people and not just passing trans women, but trans feminine people in general access to being held and loved and caressed and fucked on screen. That kind of marketing campaign is not an accident. You know, like you can't just rely on everyone's desires to shift only from seeing that one person drive the electric car. You have to like do a big blitz and work really hard to make a niche product actually kind of cool. And then all of a sudden, you'll start to see kind of a few of them, and then eventually you won't bat an eye at a Tesla. I and mean, I think that that's the future. But the the thing is, like, I don't I don't have the resources to run that campaign right now. You are working towards it, though. Sure. Yeah. That's the angle that you're like on the path for. Yeah. The irony is, everyone's like, "Well, why are you so focused on your career?" And I was like. Or they're like, well, maybe you should try dating again and not focus so much on your career or whatever. And I'm like, my career is dating. Dating is my career. Like if I sell a TV show and I'm able to actually have protagonism and be seen as I am on screen and have people date me on screen, that changes my sexual reality. I hope my career pursuits and my quest for visibility and to like have a successful career as an actor and a producer and a writer is a quest to create a world where i can actually have a partner and actually i think it's easier to change the face of media via my brilliance than it is to find that one in a million person who is already there because that's the other thing is it's not that people are evil for not wanting to fuck me like that's not what i'm saying what i'm saying is that We are a product, especially our sexual desires, are a product of the environment we're cultured in. And if the environment we're cultured in doesn't create erotic agency for people like you, you're just kind of shit out of
0: luck. Right. Often. And the media teaches us what is and what is not sexy. Yeah. It's arbitrary until they put you on a billboard and say, this person's sexy.
1: And you say, oh, okay. And everyone says, sure. And then everyone's like, yeah, I'd stick my dick in that. And then you're like, thank God, finally, someone will stick their dick in me.
0: I think of it kind of like Barbara Streisand, where I grew up and she was world famous and she was gorgeous and had this amazing voice. And yet hearing people talk about her before she got famous, they always talk about her weird nose and her like Jewish features and how she had to overcome how she looked. But when I was introduced to Barbara Streisand, she was already famous. And to me, her talent and fame was enough that I just assumed she was gorgeous. Yeah. And so for people down the road who are going to grow up and hopefully see a TV show and they see this trans femme person with stubble. You know, they're going to be like, oh, right. This is sexy.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, it's it's the same. It's, it's not that it's not an untested theory of change. You know, Oprah's visibility changes what shapes of bodies are considered gorgeous, you know, and valuable and interesting and powerful. Mindy Kaling's visibility does that, too. And now they're in a movie together being like interdimensional time witches and
0: that's your brand. Yes, <laughs> that is my brand, that.
1: which I'm just like, can someone add a fourth in here? Because like we should have that was a big miss on everyone's end. But that that radically like it really does shift how people what bodies have access to power and what bodies don't, you know, and because and, the other thing is, it's like there's enough of this to go around because human desire is much broader than what we end up being cultured to want if we were raised differently in a more open-ended fashion we would want differently we desire differently
0: yeah sometimes talking to queer men about what they are attracted to and not attracted to it makes me incredibly sad how narrow their attractions can be in terms of mm-hmm. body types and facial features etc and I remember once telling you that I was attracted to people who had intelligence and conversational and that I didn't care so much about bodies. And I thought that that was the norm. And I remember you like literally laughed out loud. <laughs> I, well, I
1: was also like, I was just like, you're full of shit. Like, are are you just like, why are you lying? Like, why are you like, that's not a, that's not a thing that gay men say.
0: Right. I'm not saying that I'm not, I'm not attracted to it, a, like a great body, <laughs> yeah, like a great body, like obviously it's attractive, but it's not the number one component where some of my best friends have not dated people because they were were skinny yeah it was like it it baffles me but I don't think that I don't know that's not the norm and it, it kind of kills me
1: yeah like I think we're both very non-normative in in our own way
0: and I didn't realize that though until it literally made you laugh
1: <laughs> and I think it's important too like I think one thing a really important component of this for me is learning to be more confident claiming dissonance from gay culture and just saying like the way that gay culture creates desire and recreates desire among gay men is trash. It's so bad. Like it's vile, you know, and I can say our here because I, f- I feel like I spent long enough as a gay dude and like, you know, I'm not not a gay dude, right? Like I feel like, you know, it's like I'm a- I've am added layers onto my identity, but like gay dude's still in there. It's still in the sandwich, yeah. you know? And I just feel like that was that gay culture just is is so flagrant about saying if your body isn't exactly this, it's not worthwhile.
0: And e- obviously that's not an easy problem to fix, but where do we even begin?
1: Well, we, part of it just, is just admitting that it's a problem. And part of it is acknowledging that like, that we have to talk about our self-loathing, you know, like we still like growing up queer, growing up gay. Like, I mean, you know, the the myth I think nowadays is that like, is that like gay dudes have made it. And I'm like, nah. I still think there's like hella baggage. Yeah. You don't grow up being the weirdo and suddenly shake that. There's a lot of digging that we all need to be doing together, and and we need processes for doing that together, and we need groups, and we need community support, and party culture and club culture is never going to fix all that.
0: And I think a place to start would be what you were saying before about TV representation. You know, just yeah. different, more bodies. I, I think. Of, I think sexual desire is so complicated. But I also, I firmly believe that men or queer people know that they cannot say, "I'm not attracted to black people. I'm not attracted to Asians." And Some
1: queer men know that they can't maybe say
0: online that. they say it, but um, th- they know that that's a problem, even if they say it. But. It has not yet dawned on the culture that they can't say, "I'm not attracted to fat people. I'm not attracted to this kind of person," because that to be is a little more like more socially acceptable. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. when I think it's just as problematic.
1: Well, the thing for me is that I'm not trying to say. That people who don't experience authentic sexual desire for femmes are bad people. What I'm saying is that there are a ton of people out there who experience sexual attraction for femmes that just do not own it because it's harder to do socially. And those are the people that I need to step up. You know, like I really do believe that the universe has some natural complementarity to it, that for every type of human, there are people who are sexually attracted to that type of human. I don't believe that this happens in a vacuum, you know? And it's funny too, because I look at, I look at like lesbian culture and I look at all these lesbian couples I know where there's like a butch and a femme together and they're so happy and they look so good. And like, and you know, the butch does not have to apologize for two seconds about the fact that she's gender nonconforming or they're gender nonconforming. You know, I look at even like my transmasculine friends who tend to date within the pool of bi and queer women and their emotional reality is so different from, from what I'm seeing trans feminine people go through. What I know that's about is it's about masculinity and about the way we've, we've cultured men. I believe the innate desire is there, but it's buried under so many layers of shame that most people will spend their entire lives not acknowledging it. And the devastating part is that I can't uncover someone else's shame for them if they're not even going to say that they need help to do it, you know?
0: Yeah, if they don't want to even.
1: Yeah. And I think that there's, there are just so many people out there who think that, you know, gender nonconforming femmes and trans women are sexy and delicious and wonderful. I mean, it's empirically true. I mean, look at the porn world. There's so much trans porn out there. Who are these people watching it? And why can they only navigate that sexuality online? Why can't they like take me out to dinner? I'm not even saying that you got to take me out to dinner five times and then we can fuck. I'm literally saying just like, can we be seen in public for two seconds together? Because if you can't do that, then like, I'm sorry, I can't suck your dick. That's just the rules.
0: So next time you see Jacob in a gorgeous dress and want to celebrate them and tell them how great they look, like, look inside and say, do I want to fuck them?
1: Yeah. And then just be like, hey, uh, what are you doing after this? And then I'll be like, oh, shit, did you just hit on me? And you'll, you'll be like, oh, yeah. And I'll be like, that's awesome. And then if I end up having too much attention, I'll let the world know. And I'll be like, everybody stop hitting on me now. I'm done. You know? But that's the thing is it's like, it's not a zero sum game either too, right? Like one person saying I need to get hit on more often does not mean that everyone else needs to get hit on more often. But I absolutely am consenting to being hit on more often. People come at me with your best foot forward and I'll let you know if I'm into it.
0: And that's our show. Big thank you to Jacob for this. If you want to connect with them or stalk them on social media, Instagram is the place to do that. They're on Instagram under their name, at Jacob I'm also on Instagram at JeffMasters1 if you want to connect with me or just leave nice comments on all my pictures. And then I always have to ask because it is so important. If you haven't subscribed on iTunes and left a comment on iTunes, please do that. It is one of the biggest ways you can help our show to continue. You can also sign up for our newsletter to stay up to date on all new episodes and live shows. You can do that at lgbtqpodcast.com. And then also I want to mention that this summer I'm going to be doing AIDS Lifecycle, where I'll be cycling from San Francisco to Los Angeles to raise money for the life-saving services that the San Francisco AIDS Foundation and LA LGBT Center provide. If you want to or are able to contribute, I would absolutely love that. Every little bit counts. I have a page up at tofighthiv.org jeffmasters1. There's also a link in the show notes on all my social medias as well. And then a big special thanks to our partners at Panoply, AfterBuzz TV, the Elon University in Los Angeles studio, Jason McMurdy, and everyone for listening. We'll see you next week.